0: Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, 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 everybody. I hope that you have had a wonderful week so far. I am so glad to be sitting down and recording this episode tonight. I've actually had a really fantastic day. For any of you who listened to my interview with India episode, I actually finally got to meet my internet bestie, IRL. We got coffee and sandwiches together and got to hang out, and uh, she is everything I wanted her to be and more, and I am always happy to have a new friend in my life, and I'm so thankful to have made such a great connection with just such a beautiful human being. I just adore her so much. So I was just like in a good mood after having like, you know, wonderful connections and everything today. And I've had a really wonderful, you know, quote unquote, day off from work and all of that. So I'm feeling like I am in a super duper good mood. And then also tonight after I record, I'm going to be home alone for a few hours, which doesn't happen very often. And it's not like I do anything like that different from when Max is home. We'll just like agree on dinner, agree on a TV show. It's just like a lot more compromise going on. And then if he's gone, all the compromise is out the window and it's all about me and I can eat whatever I want for dinner and watch whatever I want on TV or do what I normally do, which is just put headphones in my ears, listen to podcasts and doodle all night. So we'll see what I actually end up doing with my time alone. But either way, I think it's the only child in me. Like I need that little bit of alone time every once in a while to be able to like recharge my batteries and feel like I'm ready to take on the world again, especially because I just tend to give off a lot of energy in my day to day life. Like some people can just kind of like go through their workday, low energy and things like that, where I always tend to be on and I'm working on turning myself off a little bit so I can conserve some of my very precious energy. But anyway, that is enough about me and all of my shenanigans. Let's get into some news topics for the week. And we haven't really gone into U.S. politics and all of that in a little bit, I feel like. But there is an election going on right now for a new Speaker of the House now that Nancy Pelosi has stepped down from the position after Two more than two decades, two decades, something like that. But it's she was in that role for an unbelievable amount of time. So this is the first time in a long time that there is going to be a vote on a new speaker of the House. And on Thursday, the day that I am recording this episode, today was the second day of voting for a new speaker of the House. And before we go into some of the shenanigans that have been going on Throughout the voting, let's talk a little bit about how it all works. So all of the members of Congress join together and they vote in alphabetical order. Each congressperson comes up and the member announces their choice for speaker. The majority of the people voting for a specific person gives us the winner. And that will happen again and again and again until someone gets to 218 votes because that's the number of votes that's needed to win the majority. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy has been the chosen nominee from the GOP and he has long wanted to become Speaker of the House. However, there are plenty of Republican Congress people who say that they will definitely be voting against him or that they couldn't yet get on board with him. He received 201 votes in the first two rounds of voting on Tuesday night, which then dropped to 200 votes in the following two rounds. And here we are, three days in and 10 ballots later, and the House has yet to choose a speaker as McCarthy fails again and again to get the majority vote amid far-right members of his own party working against him. Now, the last time the House went to the 10th ballot was in 1859, and now the House is preparing for the historic 11th vote for the Speaker position. Matt Gates, who's been a ringleader in the anti-McCarthy camp, cast his vote twice for Donald Trump, who, despite the ongoing investigations he's facing, could technically serve as Speaker, although Trump himself has endorsed McCarthy. He even tweeted, in all caps, Turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. Vote for Kevin. Close the deal. Can't you just picture him saying that? Republican leaders have said that there would be conditions should they support McCarthy. They want to change House rules to allow any member to bring a no confidence vote on the Speaker. They want a bigger say in the House rules and appropriations committees, which would allow them to influence the U.S. government budget and help decide which bills can move forward in the chamber. Throughout all of this, they are still feeling positive about derailing McCarthy's bid. Joe Biden has offered his thoughts on the matter, stating, I just think it's a little embarrassing. The rest of the world is looking. And I could not agree more, because while the Republicans are fighting amongst themselves, all 212 House Democrats voted for Hakeem Jeffries on Thursday. Hakeem is expected to make history as the first black lawmaker to lead a party in Congress. It's still amazing to me that we can have the first black or the first whatever of anything in 2023, but I'm really, really so overjoyed that this historic moment could potentially be happening. Jeffries would also apparently be the first person voted to lead House Democrats to be born after World War II, which is great because we need some young blood. Democrats chose Hakeem unanimously back in November, and the Democrats have remained united around him ever since. At one point, Democrats in the chamber began chanting, Hakim Hakim while standing and clapping. However, my favorite moment was when Congressman Jimmy Gomez wore his four-month-old son Hodge in a carrier during his vote. On Wednesday morning, he tweeted a photo of himself with his son and his wife saying, The fam's in D.C. Is it too early to teach my son the I'm just a bill song? (laughs) But things weren't smooth sailing the whole time Little Hodge was out on the floor. Apparently, the little guy had a diaper blowout at some point. Jimmy told reporters, I had to go change him. Luckily, there's a men's bathroom right across the hall from my office. To which I say, The men's bathroom has a changing table? That is progress. I once had to change a practically newborn baby on the bathroom floor of a Chipotle by using every layer of clothing I had to make some sort of barrier between the child and the disgusting fucking bathroom floor. When it came time to cast his vote, father and son stood up and Jimmy proclaimed, On behalf of my son Hodge and all the working families who need an expanded child tax credit, I cast my vote for Hakeem Jeffries. There was even another photo of Jimmy Gonzalez and Hodge alongside Texas Representative Joaquin Castro and his child. Representative Salud Carbajal, who also had their child with them, tweeted, I wonder what age their kids will be by the time we have a Speaker of the House. On the second day, Jimmy got a little help from a few more dads in Capitol Hill, none other than the Judge daddies, who are fathers to adorable twins, if you're unaware. I am a... Huge fan of the Judges, by the way. I think they are the cutest couple of all time. I want to hug both of them and have them adopt me as their niece. Thank you very much. Chastin Buttigieg tweeted at Jimmy, Seems like you might be there a while. Let me know if you need to borrow any supplies playmat, books, toys, travel cribs. Jimmy tweeted back to coordinate a supply drop off. It's so adorable. So the main problem here, folks, is that the House cannot function without a speaker. And the longer this goes on, the longer we go without a working government. Members are unable to be sworn in, consider legislation, assign committees, or adopt rules until a nominee can get the majority of the votes. So let's hope tomorrow we will have a House speaker. All right, the next thing I wanted to talk about will probably seem a little bit strange for a feminist podcast to be covering this story, but I think that it is important nonetheless, and I think that anytime we talk about the health of another human being, the, it does become a political or feminist issue, and like I always say, the personal is political, On Monday night, I was with Max's family. The Rams and I were together to celebrate a late New Year's Eve and have dinner together and have a couple drinks, and we were watching Monday Night Football. Now, you all know that Max is a big sports fan, And he's also part of a couple fantasy football leagues. And as much as it annoys me that he shows me the scores all the time and is always talking about different players and yada, 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 half of which I don't really understand, but I support him and the thing that he's passionate about. Um, He's also won fantasy football like a bunch. He's been able to help out with the majority of the rent for the last couple of years for winning different fantasy football events. He also won one league last year where he won this ring. It's like this big silver ring with a black stone on it and it says like fantasy football league winner but then someone one of the winners in the early years of having this ring had suck it engraved on it so we've had the suck it ring for about a year and max's dad is also really big into fantasy football so especially when they're together and there's a game on like they're giving each other shit and they're going up against each other and like it's very adorable so Max's mom and I are sitting on the couch with Max and his dad and we're like kind of talking and watching the game and then all of a sudden everybody just kind of stops and starts focusing on the TV and I noticed that there is a large huddle of the Buffalo Bills players surrounding a certain area on the field and the whole vibe of the night changed. Haley and her husband Pete came over to the TV and we were all watching what was going on And what had happened was that 24-year-old DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills had collapsed after tackling one of the Bengals players, T. Higgins, during the football game. And it was pretty early on in the game, too. So they had barely even gotten started when all of this happened. So once we realized what was going on a little bit, I went online and I was able to see a replay on Twitter of what had actually happened. And Demar tackled Higgins and they both went down. Then they both got back up. And just as Demar was about to take a step forward and move on with the game, he just crumpled. Immediately, his teammates formed a protective wall around him, giving him privacy, and Bengals players were seen supporting the Buffalo Bills players as well, clearly confused and very afraid of what could potentially be going on with their fellow player. And watching it, it was so clear that there was something more serious going on than an injury that you would normally see in a football game because they were tears in the eyes of these, like, macho football player guys, and just the look of worry, the praying you were seeing them doing, it just made anyone watching the game just be like, oh my gosh, like, very moved, but so fearful of what had happened. So we eventually learned that he had suffered from cardiac arrest from the impact of the hit that he had actually initiated. So he wasn't the one that got hit. He was the one that did the tackle, And it was after that that he went into cardiac arrest. Luckily, medical officials were able to get onto the field as soon as they possibly could. And CPR was performed on DeMar for nine minutes on the field as they waited for the ambulance to arrive. And that was another thing, you know, talking to Max and his dad. And I mean, his mom is a big football fan, too. But they're they're all such huge fans. They're like, I don't know if I've ever seen an ambulance on the field it really it was very very jarring even as a non-football fan thankfully damar's heartbeat was restored on the field and he was transferred to the university of cincinnati medical center where he was sedated and intubated so he was unconscious from monday night and spoiler he did quote-unquote wake up this morning thursday morning so he will hopefully be making a very strong Recovery, But it was very, very scary for a long, long time for his family, for his fellow players, for, for his fellow teammates, for his other friends. There was another friend that was from another football team that like immediately dropped everything and flew to Cincinnati to be with him. And it really it was as moving as it was devastating to follow this story this week. So like I said, all of this happened within the first quarter of the game, and for a while it was classified as just being suspended, but it was very clear that none of the players were in a place to continue this game, and it was eventually officially canceled. Doctors for the NFL and other officials are investigating the cause of the cardiac arrest, but one doctor addressed the theory that the cardiac arrest could have been caused by severe trauma to the chest during the hit. DeMar's mother has been wonderful and very, very kind to be speaking with the press and also keeping the Bills informed of what's going on with her son. And this morning, the Bills tweeted that DeMar has shown, quote, remarkable improvement in the last days and appears to be, quote, neurologically intact. And that was one thing that people were very concerned about is that there would be some serious brain damage and things like that due to the loss of oxygen for a little bit. The statement goes on to say, while still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal and he is making steady progress. After seeing what happened to DeMar, many players are apprehensive about playing in the weekend's games as it's still unclear what caused his cardiac arrest. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow said, I'm sure if you pulled the locker room, there'd be mixed votes on that. Personally, I think playing is going to be tough. I think getting back to as normal as you can, as fast as you can, is personally how I kind of deal with these kind of things, but everyone has a different way of dealing with it. Since this tragic event, Damar has received nationwide support from fans and players across pro sports, and the biggest show of this support was from the more than $7 million donated to his foundation's toy drive on GoFundMe. He started this GoFundMe back in 2020 when he first joined the NFL as a way to give back to his hometown community. So I'm so very thankful that Damar is on the mend, seems to be getting better. I hope that any of the players involved, affected by this, I mean, I Max and I were even talking about, you know, the children just watching football games at home where maybe their father is a football player or someone in their lives is a player and there's this question about these safety guidelines in these sports and something that max and i have talked about a lot because we do want to have at least a kid one day you know i'm very uncomfortable with the aspect of contact sports and both of us pretty much agree that football would be a no he was actually not allowed to play football but then his parents eventually gave in even though he was the tiniest pipsqueak imaginable i'm amazed he didn't just get his ass beat He played hockey for a really, really long time. I think his smallness there actually really helped him. He was quite an instigator, but hockey makes me really nervous too. I've had a lot of friends and family who have been hockey players who have either had brain injuries themselves or who have, you know, heard about them, seen them. Like This is a very serious conversation when we're talking about our kids' health when it comes to sports. And so that's why I really thought this story was important. I think that Damar, as a 24-year-old man who was at the most physically fit moments and times in his life to go down for cardiac arrest during a football game, is just not something that anyone imagines happening. And It's very terrifying, but I I couldn't be happier to at least report to you all that there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel with this story, and Damar does seem to be on the mend. I guess he was like squeezing his family's hands and had little responses, so it's all looking up from here. All right, before the last couple stories, let's take a quick commercial break. But before I move on to the last stories that I wanted to cover, I did want to give a shout out to a particular listener who is very active in reaching out to me on social media and we've communicated back and forth quite a bit for a while. Her name is Miranda and she is having fallopian tube removal surgery tomorrow on Friday. So the day that this episode comes out. So Miranda, if you're listening to this, I'm here for you. I applaud you. I think you are so brave to be able to go up against all of the people and doctors who have tried to convince you to do other things with your body than what you have chosen to do. And I am sending you all of the healing and positive thoughts as you go through this surgery and the recovery, because any surgery, of course, comes with its risks and things like that. So I'm giving you a very, very big hug virtually through the microphone, through the phone, whatever you're listening to. And I am really, truly hoping for the best. And I want you to know how proud I am of you. So anyways, done being sappy. I had to mention that before I forgot. Before I go into this next story, I wanted to give a quick trigger warning because it will be discussing miscarriages. Carmen Brosder, a 35 year old mom of one in Idaho, has had four miscarriages in 2022. Her most recent one, which happened after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, lasted for weeks and was severely painful. But due to Idaho's strict abortion laws, Carmen wasn't able to get the health care she needed. When she learned that the fetus had lost its heartbeat, she asked for a DNC, better known as the procedure which removes the remaining tissue from the uterus. But because a DNC on a pregnant person leads to the same outcome as an abortion, her doctors in Idaho refused to offer it to her. She said, I knew the baby was not going to come back to life. There's nothing I can do and I didn't want it inside me. When people shot back telling her to go out of state, she replied that she had a young daughter to care for and couldn't easily do that. She went to the ER but was turned away, so she started recording. She took to TikTok and told the camera that she was bleeding out and no one was helping her. She ended up posting 12 videos in over 19 days, showing how she was feeling and what happened on multiple frustrating hospital visits. This is happening all over the United States since Roe was overturned in June. Because in states where abortion is illegal, doctors refuse to offer certain treatments that either are considered abortions or may lead to them. Otherwise, they may risk prosecution. Pharmacies have begun to deny or delay filling of prescriptions for medications to complete miscarriages. And President Biden shot back that the decision to withhold some of these medications is the pharmacy discriminating on the basis of sex, which I definitely applaud him for. A Walgreens spokesperson said that some abortion laws, quote, require additional steps for dispensing certain prescriptions. In these states, our pharmacists work closely with prescribers as needed to fill lawful, clinically appropriate prescriptions. And a little bit of information about miscarriages in general because I do feel like there is such a heavy stigma surrounding miscarriages and so many people who go through it end up blaming their bodies and themselves and go through a lot of trauma while experiencing this. But miscarriages are unfortunately incredibly common and they can also be incredibly risky and if there isn't medical assistance there to help in some of these more extreme cases people will die. Miscarriages normally occur within the first 13 weeks of pregnancy, and it happens in about 1 in 10 known pregnancies, and may occur as often as 1 in 4 pregnancies, when including miscarriages that occur before a patient realizes they're pregnant. Medical terminology will often refer to a miscarriage as a, quote, spontaneous abortion, something that probably raises any healthcare professional's fears even more when assisting someone who is miscarrying. As the show has spoken about in previous episodes, the three options to remove the remaining tissue, which were discussed more thoroughly in the abortion episode, were the DNC, like I discussed a little bit ago, medication, or, quote, expectant management, which means waiting for the tissue to naturally pass, which can take weeks and could be incredibly painful. Patients should be allowed to choose the method best for them to ensure minimizing the trauma they are already facing by losing a potential baby. And I know that this situation would be different to each person who is pregnant. Um, A lot of times people will miscarry without even knowing that they're pregnant. I went through a bit of a miscarriage scare myself about this time last year. Um, I had had my period and then a few days later I started noticing like really – thick like tissue bloody tissue in my underwear and I was like that's very strange I've always had a very heavy but regular period and it's never happened where a couple days later I'll be spotting again or anything and this was super tissuey I ended up going to urgent care and they had me do a pregnancy test and oh my gosh this story is insane they were doing renovations on the area of the doctor's office where the bathrooms were So they had like these essentially like movie trailer bathrooms set up. If anyone's familiar with what those look like, they're pretty nice. Like they're really like cushy on the inside, but you're walking into like a portable trailer to go to the bathroom outside. So I pee in this cup and like I said, I could see this like, tissue like floating in the toilet and in this cup so I'm like carrying my little cup of pee back to the doctor's office no bag no nothing just proudly carrying my piss and they weren't able to detect any sort of pregnancy they didn't really think that that's what happened I'm still a little bit up in the air about the whole situation but it was strange the thoughts that it brought up in me Not that I would necessarily want to have a child at this moment in my life. I don't know how I would respond if I were to get pregnant. But one, it was incredibly painful what I was going through. But also, two, there was kind of a sadness that I felt personally because I don't know if I wished that, you know, if I was pregnant that I had known or that, you know... I don't know. I just felt sad. I don't really know how to explain it, but um, it was kind of a, a difficult moment. I'm actually wearing a necklace right now that my coworker, oh God, I'm getting like misty eyed. My coworker, Celeste, I had, had to leave early because I was in a lot of pain. And the next day that I went to work, I showed up and there was this necklace that I had really been wanting. It's by the company Awe Inspired. I have their Marsha P. Johnson necklace. And then she gave me the Cancer Zodiac Goddess necklace with a cute little note inside of it. It made me feel so much better. And I don't even know if that's what I went through, but I know from having friends lean on me through those experiences, that it can potentially be incredibly traumatizing. And to force a mother to go through an incredibly painful miscarriage when they may also be emotionally traumatized from the experience is so damaging. And the fact that this woman at the top of this topic had to go through this for 19 days is absolutely devastating to me, and my heart goes out to her family and to any other person who is not receiving the proper health care that they deserve due to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Oh my gosh, I've talked to myself longer than I thought I would, but I have one more story for you all tonight, and that is that the actors Olivia Husey and Leonard Whiting, who were 15 and 16 years old in 1968 during the filming of Romeo and Juliet by director Franco Zeffirelli, filed a suit on December 30th, and in it, the pair claimed that Zeffirelli, who died in 2019 told them that there would be no nudity in the film and that they would wear flesh-colored undergarments when filming the bedroom scene. Now, if you haven't watched this film, what are you doing with your life? Either you've seen it in school or you've seen it with your friends. I feel like it's kind of one of those cult classics. And I'm not talking about the Leonardo DiCaprio one. I'm talking about the old-school, actually good one. Zeffirelli later insisted that the teens perform nude quote or the picture would fail to make them feel better. He said that the cameras would not be focusing on the areas of their body where they would be nude. They would be able to edit around it. He also, you know, put a little bit of like nude colored body paint on them. But in the end result, you do see the bare chest of a 15 year old girl and the bare bottom of a 16-year-old boy. And I say girl and boy in this instance because, let's remember, they were children. According to the suit, they were filmed nude in violation of California and federal laws against indecency and against exploitation of children. Now, I, like many, many others, saw this film for the first time when I was in my high school English class. I was a freshman in high school, so I would have been 14, which was almost the same age that Olivia was when she was filming her role for Juliet. And I remember it's a split second when she turns her body and her bare breasts are exposed and the whole class starts whooping and then the boy turns and you get his butt in your face and the whole class whoops again and even though it's a very short part of the film, it was like the most memorable part because when on earth has nudity not stuck in the brains of every teenager in the world because they're disgusting? But I don't think I knew that the actress that played Juliet was that young. I think I assumed that, you know, in my naive state at 14 that, you know, the film industry would have protections for things like that. Or there's no way they would allow a child to be nude on camera. I had absolutely no idea. I also remember my teacher playing the Leonardo DiCaprio version for the class, and we all made such a commotion about it and hated it so much that she shut it off after one of the first scenes. <laughs> what can I say? We preferred the classic. And to this day, I have never seen Leo's version. Come at me. What may be an issue in this suit is that Olivia had given an interview back in 2018 defending the nudity by saying, quote, "'Nobody my age had done that before. It was needed for the film.'" Now, we all know that trauma survivors come to terms with their experiences at different times, especially since she gave this interview in 2018, right at the cusp of the Me Too movement. It doesn't surprise me that she would be coming to the films and Zeffirelli's defense. Business manager for the two actors, Tony Marinazzi, stated, What they were told and what went on were two different things. They trusted Franco. At 16, as actors, they took his lead that he would not violate the trust they had, Franco is their friend, and frankly, at 16, what do they do? There are no options. There was no Me Too. The complaint states that Olivia and Leonard have suffered, quote, mental anguish and emotional distress in the years since, and they have apparently lost out on job opportunities due to their role in the film. They are looking for an excess of $500 million in damages. In another interview from 2018, Olivia also stated that the director had even nicknamed her Boobzomina on set before later confessing his unrequited love for her, which I cannot imagine being another huge breaking of trust. I can't imagine a child, I don't know when the director finally came to her and, you know, professed his undying love for her, but. All of it is incredibly inappropriate and not okay. The movie itself was a box office hit and received four Oscar nominations, winning two for Best Cinematography and Best Costume Design. All right, that is all of the news stories that I have for you today. If there's anything going on in the world that you want me to discuss, please DM me on my Instagram at angry feminist or email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. I recently had someone on Instagram reach out asking about merch. There is a link to the merch store in the show notes. I'm hoping to come up with some new designs and get the new logo out there as soon as possible for you all to be able to buy mugs and t-shirts and stickers, whatever your heart desires with the new logo, which if you'll notice, is pretty much the same as the Ray John artwork that I already put up in the store. (laughs) Also, if you enjoy the show and think that others would as well, the best way to show your support is by leaving a five-star review and leaving a little sentence about why you enjoy the show on Apple Podcasts or rating the show on the Spotify app. All right, that's all I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye!